Hey everyone, this is Lisa and Ellery. What's going on? And this is the podcast Remembering Us, the storytelling of everyday people who are dedicated to racial healing, racial justice. We are very excited, honored to be with you all today, sharing our next episode with Jesse Mess, who happens to be my cousin. Um, Jesse grew up in in St. Louis in a culturally diverse community in St. Louis, where he witnessed racism in his interpersonal relationships as well as the institutional and social realms. These experiences sparked an inner desire to understand why we created such a world. He has published a book called Race for What? A White Man's Journey and Guide to Healing Racism from the Inside Out. Please, everyone, check it out. We are honored, happy to share with you all his story um, how and how he's moving through the world today. So. Uh, yeah, so before we jump in to that interview, we'd like to take a moment to to collect, to ground. So I invite you all, wherever you are in space and time, to uh, come to stillness, to a stillness that feels that feels comfortable, right, for where you are. And maybe that includes closing your eyes, maybe that is uh, softening the muscles of your eyes so that you can begin to take in, notice, observe the space that you are in, the space that surrounds you. So noticing maybe uh, temperature on your skin, noticing maybe uh, sense of pulsation, noticing distance between you, objects, people. So getting a sense of where you are in space. And then from there, again, either with, um, with your eyes open or closed, beginning to take yourself up above as if you could create a bird's eye view of yourself. So lifting yourself and, and looking down, noticing the space that is around you, the space that you occupy. Are there people? Are there objects? And then making your way back down, beginning to occupy the space inside of yourself. So coming back into your body, so to speak, and noticing the space inside of you, the space that is responding to what is around you, that is influencing what is around you, beginning to experience yourself in space beginning to experience your space inside of you, always in relationship to what is around you, those who are around you, and vice versa. It will take a deep breath. 
through the nose, allowing the exhale to be a little bit longer than the inhale. And when you're ready, you can begin to come back so that you are aware of, of your space and where you are and what you're seeing, what you're feeling in, in the here and now, and look forward to being on this journey with you all. Welcome to Remembering Us. Right. Very excited to be here. Oh, God. Relax now. Wonderful. That's the idea, that we feel collected and a little bit more um, together and grounded in this moment. That's all we've got. All right, Jancy. So obviously, you know, being your cousin, I'm going to know parts of the answer to this question. But we're going to start off with how would you describe your and your family's origin story? And you can let that take you anywhere in time and space and land. So I don't know that I was ever really curious in this, maybe to the level in which I, I should have been now that I've written this book or whatnot, but I mind knowledge starts with where our our grandparents or well my grandparents started right like all of my grandparents lived in the st louis area and i know that on my dad's side it's combination of polish and some slavias and some other uh areas of that realm and i think on our grandparents side on our mom's side it's more of a German based background, but I don't know exactly, but I know that on the hush side, there was a little more wealth on the, on the mass side. My grandparents grew up in the inner city, although it didn't look like it did now, but you know, their parents were butchers and other jobs that weren't creating a lot of wealth. And my grandfather's side, my grandfather decided that he wanted to be wealthy and, uh, or at least have money, whatever wealth level. Uh, but so he hung out with a bunch of rich kids and, um, and when they went to school and became entrepreneurs, he went to school to become their attorney. So he talked about the importance of money to me quite often. Uh, and then my, you know, grandfather on our side developed one of the largest law firms in the St. Louis area and the, in the bi-state area being that St. Louis is on the, on the border of Illinois and, um, his name still resides on it. Even after merger and merger and merger, you know, I, I know that while money was talked about differently on that side, it was often a very important support mechanism and that's what I've learned is why we call it financial support, because we get this feeling of support that we can do what we want to do. Whereas, you know, if you don't have that support, even emotionally in your life, um, from family or whatnot, that support gives us confidence to do what we want to do. It gives us 
the feeling like we can if you're feeling supported. And so I get the idea of financial support now. And that was more of a recent revelation for myself. So um, from there, they lived in Clayton. My parents were raised in Clayton. They met in high school and uh, went on a journey to colleges. And, and my father went to law school. My mother went to medical school. And those journeys took them to Philadelphia, where my mom was in medical school. And I was born during that time period. Um, and so being in Clayton, um, which is an area of St. Louis that is very well off, it's the county's downtown too. So it's the business district of the county, which has a stronger influence than the city, um, financially anyway. Uh, the fact that they came from Clayton and wanted to raise their children around black folks to have a diverse, um, setting where we could interact with multiple cultures at a time where in throughout us history, we were basically taught not to learn about other cultures that the U S is so great. And, um, and that there's really no reason to learn about other cultures, um, because we got it right. And we're the, as life is kind of model. And so for them to have come from that setting, to want to do, I know my grandfather on my father's side represented a union, I believe it was in the railroad section or construction section where he fought for equal pay for the black workers of that industry. And yet, um, at the same time, he was very concerned more so from a much more pro-Jewish standpoint, he was very concerned that we be raised very Jewish and to a level of racism that existed where he didn't, he was not very comfortable with me having so many black friends. But my father came out of that setting and wanted to, I mean, he, he was very poignant on wanting to raise me around black folks. So from the time I can remember in Philadelphia, which is very little, I remember seeing black and, and other cultures in my neighborhood. I remember going to my um, daycare, which was Maxine, and she was a black woman. And I remember seeing pictures of me being one of the few white children in this daycare. There were a few Asians and about half of them were black, uh, the kids at her house. And so I just remember being loved by black folks from the time I was born to later find out my mom had written this beautiful piece when she was in high school about how when her twin brother uh, was killed or died in an accident, that, that her father had the people working at the house, the domestic help coming through the back entrance and all of his friends coming through the front entrance and realized at some point that they didn't even feel the pain of this loss the way the folks coming in the back entrance felt. And so from that point forward, he never wanted to have them feel like they were lesser than because they were part of the family. And I know that for both our moms and aunts and uncles, you know, Augusta and Evelyn, and those were family members to them. So that may have led to what my mom's decision to, to agree with my dad, that they wanted to raise me and my sisters in that type of environment. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, when when your parents decided to raise you and your sisters in a diverse community, um, when, as you mentioned, it was so against the status quo at that time in history and in many places still is. And I was thinking, I wonder what in their stories led to that. And then here you talking about the relationships, really, you know, the connections that your mom had with Augusta and and at a moment that was so pivotal in her life that her brother was killed and seeing how people responded. And the people that responded were coming through the back doors who were Black, and that probably led to wanting to raise her kids in that kind of community of support and love. One thing that also stood out to me was you said that your grandpa on your dad's side of the family they grew up a lower lower to working class and right. there was a point where he decided he wanted to be wealthy you knowing this there's a decision which yeah. definitely speaks to the process of becoming white because they came from poland and Slavia. so i'm wondering um in the storytelling of your grandpa, was there talk about racial identity of, of whiteness and about you know, becoming the process of becoming white in this country? No, there was never conversations around that. It was, um, it was conversations with, will you invite some, uh, some other friends? Why don't you have any other friends besides your black friends over? And then it went into the immediate, I'm not racist. If you had only Jewish friends, I would want you to have some black friends. Da 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 da. da. But then it would go into the Holocaust and, you know, why we need to stick together and why it's important and what Jews have been through. And so it was so much of that. And um, I was just kind of processing it. I just wanted to understand mentalities from a young age, right? Like what made him feel this way? I mean, I remember one time when, uh, we left the door open. Cause if you remember at the hush household, there was only two rooms that had air conditioners, the library being one of them. And Shondo and I, my best friend and I were eight, nine years old, left the door open to the library and grandpa, Peter, Papa said, Something to the nature of, well, that's how they they don't know any better or something about a they. And I was like, whoa, okay. Like he was taking us out all the time to Six Flags, to dinners, to everything. And so um, it made me curious from that and, and then the interactions with society that as I grew up, I recognized just made me curious as to what the heck makes us want to judge somebody based on skin color. Yeah, I definitely relate to that, especially being young. Something almost like this irk feeling of weight. That didn't make sense. And it's conflicting because these are elders, you know, right. people that are that we look up to that are safety, that are um, educators to us, that are our home. And then hearing something is kind of like this moment of, of dissonance of like, wait, and then how did process all of that in this in the body in the mind of a eight-year-old right so when so you're speaking to it now but when what were some moments that you began to realize your racialized identity 
learning about Martin Luther King was a big part, right? The way he was taught about in, in our school and we had to do a little, I have a dream kind of our own version. And I just didn't get it. What the heck made him so famous? What he was saying seemed pretty natural to me. And this was because I was raised around such a diverse community. I just didn't understand why he was so important, but it did make me start to pay attention. Do people get treated? Okay. When we, when my friend goes to the country club with me and, and we're visiting my grandparents at their country club, uh, the only other black folks there are the waiting staff and, you know, we're getting looks. My grandfather's squirming in his chair. Um, you know, what is. I'm just paying attention to all these different social interactions from a curious standpoint. I'm wondering what were some moments that, that led you to, to take on this ideology of anti-racism? Well, I wanted, I I didn't know I was involved in anti-racism, so to speak, or that language wasn't there. I just wanted my friends to get the same opportunities that I had. I wanted, you know, when I was in class, if I felt like a teacher was treating me a certain way and other students differently, and they were a white teacher, I was going to go off and I didn't have the diplomatic skills to, uh, discuss my feelings and talk about it. I just kind of went off and partly I felt safe that I could get away with it. Um, so, and then there were times when I, you know, acted like a spoiled brat that I was and, and just went off and said some pretty messed up things. Um, and even that taught me like, wow, I could get away with so much more. And I wasn't proud of those moments, but I just was like eye opening as to the difference in which I could get away with behaving a certain way and my friends were not allowed to do so. And so then you go into the social interactions at the mall and I could take anything back. I could take back stuff that we wore for a year, grab a tag, throw it in the bag and say, Hey, I'm returning this same shirt and get no questions asked. And in the same mall, in the same store, my friends are taking back something that clearly couldn't fit them. Never been worn, all of the stickers, all of the tags originally on there, and they get talked about. Oh, they probably wore them. And and so that put me on this mission of my friends and I doing a kind of a mall scheme where I'm taking things back and they're changing the prices on stuff. And I see them coming out of the dressing room and I go in and I purchase those things and we go to the next ball and I take those things back for the full price and we're doing it over and over again. And, and, just to be able to kind of get away with that. And I remember clearly we were going to smoke some weed before going in and I was nervous as crap. And my best friend was like, dude, you're white. What are you tripping off of? And I was like, oh my God. And as we went in, that was one of the most eye-opening things. Like, wow, I really am white. This really does have a different effect. And so just... From there, I think I sparked wanting to do something, but from being able to maneuver as a white man that way, I wanted to maneuver in the system, right? I want, I didn't see myself as anti-racism in that, like standing out front anymore. I wanted to get inside the banking industry when I got into college and learned about the banking industry. 
and use my whiteness to work my way up the channels. And then from there, impact change and be able to offer loans and financing and be that insider, so to speak. And so that put me on that path. And by that time, uh, Nellie's career, who Nellie being one of the best friends of mine growing up, his career had just taken off as I got into banking. And um, as far as on a national level, he had been working at that for many years. And he knew that I was very entrepreneur and he wanted to pull me in. So as I, as I saw that his career could be long lasting, that became my new mission. Okay, I will develop powerful relationships by being Nelly's manager. And that came with a level of privilege because I could call up anybody and say, this is Nelly's business manager, JD. And if I start my sentence that way, I can get to the top of any organization quickly. And so that became my mission to want to bring forth change as well. And, and it wasn't until I got involved with uh, an African Hebrew Israelite community based in Israel shortly after I left Nelly that I recognized I don't want to do it that way. I want to be involved in community building. Because so much of what has led you to, um, yeah, to understanding racism it has been because of community. It has been because of the relationships that right. you're in. And so wanting to focus on community um, absolutely makes sense because so much of your pivotal moments have been in response to relationships and community. Yeah. And so just for context, Nelly is the rapper from St. Louis. Yes. What I hear in your story is is you leveraging your your whiteness, the privilege to um, to start to change the systems, um, starting with the relationships with the teachers and the classrooms. So there's an institution, but it's also relationships, people, human, mm -hmm. and then moving up into the another institution of the banking. Right. Still, kind of with this this mindset of understanding the skin that you're in leverages you with certain privileges that maybe you could start to influence the balance of, of power and control. So, you know, and looking forward a little bit, what kind of community do you envision or what kind of community would you like to be a part of and how does whiteness look in that community? community that has a social responsibility is a very different one than what we've created from a European white culture, whatever you want to call this Greco-Roman culture that has been the dominant colonizing culture of the world that we created, world being the social construct, not being the earth and planet itself. So there's a disconnection in our culture, right? It's about individualism. It's about getting what you can. It's about seeing so much of the outside humanity as competition instead of as a collective connected force of life. There's so much that separates us within this, right? And then we call it your personal responsibility. So if I tell Ellery something about Lisa, I'm telling a lie about Lisa to Ellery. Ellery can 
be the one that's duped the most, right? And so I can also now go back to Lisa and say, well, Lisa, I told this, which could be another lie, and I'm trying to play these things. So all of this manipulation, if I gain from it in our society, I'm a star. Unless it's absolutely to a certain level of real harm, and not even that always guarantees us a certain punishment or whatnot, but if I can get away with that and I look good, if we've even called that sales and marketing now, right? Like I can tell you how wonderful this cereal is. I can tell you how it's packed with vitamins. And yes, it might have those vitamins in it, but the fact that it has all these other harmful entities that we created to say, look at me, I can create this tasting like strawberry stuff over here. Why? We have strawberries. So there's this level of disconnection, but I'm rewarded for those lies if that benefits me. And we call that personal responsibility. And if Ellery and Lisa are hurt in that process, your personal responsibility is to get over it and or you shouldn't have been duped. You should have known better, right? So this level of personal responsibility is how we define and our power to define responsibility, whereas social responsibility means that my decisions are connected to you all, even though I'm just meeting Ellery right now, my decision still had some level of impact on her potentially in our life because now we get a chance to meet. Now, when I make decisions, I have a level of responsibility in my eyes that's much greater. And social responsibility means I'm not the centerpiece of it. What's greater for all of us? What can we pay attention? How are we connected? So now I don't want to create a harmful cereal because just because I'm going to benefit by tricking Ellery into thinking that strawberry tasting cereal is better than strawberries in her cereal, that affects everybody in a negative way. And that doesn't boast well for me. And so that level of community building to think of us as united, as connected, as responsible for each other and therefore responsible for the planet, which is already responsible for us. So we don't have to go in and change these things. This other culture that we have, this white culture, wants to control some stuff. And that includes the earth in which already works. Like th that level of thinking uh, so that we can be most important in this individualism work of a disconnected mind is what community building to me is about and differs from the white community. Can you think of a moment or a time where you, as small as it was, but a moment where you've experienced or seen this kind of harmonious care between people that is social responsibility instead of personal responsibility? Yes. So when I went to Israel for the first time with my grandmother on my dad's side, who, thank goodness, was a curious woman herself. In negotiating some time to go see the Hebrew-Israelite community that existed there since and left the United States during the Martin Luther King, Malcolm X era, and went back through Liberia to shed themselves of being reliant on 7-Elevens and grocery stores and things of that nature. And how do we get connected to the earth again? And then go back to Israel and say, hey, these laws of return, we're the actual original Hebrew people and we're coming back for our share of this land as well. Um, to see that community, and I only saw it for a half a day 
And yes, they may have known and planned that we were coming and all of these things. The level of care that took place could not be duplicated and put on unless you're in a, on a Disney set and everybody's being paid to do so. Um, when we got there and we were going for a walk around the community, I had to use the restroom. And the first thing I was told when I told the person leading us around, who was a prince of the community at the time, I said, look, I had to go to the restroom when we get there, you know, and he said, oh, you can just go in any door. Meanwhile, we're going past housing of single story apartment and it's rows of this. And in between there are certain, you know, community rooms that he's telling us about. And he says, you can just go in any door and use the restroom. And that doesn't sound right to me. So I keep going. And then he goes, didn't you have to use the restroom? I said, go into the door, go right there. So as I start walking up to the door and I'm about to knock, he said, I didn't say knock. We haven't locked our doors in 40 years. The community is our home. So open it up. And I went in, peeked my head in and I hear this black woman's voice going, hey, baby, you need some water? You need some food? What do you need? You need to use the restroom? I'm like, yeah, I need to use the restroom. Water would be nice. And I come out and I'm drinking water and we continue going. And this child comes running around the bend of one of the buildings and couldn't be more than two years old, definitely not three. And he goes, you going to the park? And she keeps running. And my grandmother and I are looking around. Holy smokes, what is going on here? And he goes, don't worry. There's more eyes on her than you know. Everybody knows whose child that is. And... Once we teach our children, as soon as you're old enough to walk, the whole village is your home. So when you start to dissect all of the things that need to go into that, right? The values were set that we were all for one and one for all, and we are all connected. And after that value is set, different things need to be put in place to say, this is how open we are. This is how caring we are. This level of culture has to be bought into and, and seen the value of and built from in order to get it to that level of having a two-year-old being comfortable running through the entire community and the people of the community knowing that's okay, that we're all responsible for looking out and making sure that child gets the best. That means we got to keep glass off the streets and, you know, off the sidewalks. I mean, there's certain things that you just inherently start to know to do that avoids a lot of problems so that that potentially can happen. And I felt great as a child, like I could run all over the place. I never felt that level of freedom, right? So that in and of itself, let me see community building at a different level. I, I got goosebumps because there wasn't a, like a shred of, of suspicion, you know, to one another. And there was absolute care and trust. And then the saying, the village is your home. What that does to the biology right. of a human. And growing up, knowing that the village, your home. I mean, that word home, that's safety, that's security, that's protection, that's love, that's care, that's nurturance. I mean... And it's possible because you, you know, it's, it's happening. And, um, and that's why, like, I really appreciate hearing moments like this. It is possible where we're not thinking about something that is unattainable because it's already existing. And so how do we learn and 
from one another to replicate. And what you're saying is these values were very explicit in this community with the Hebrew Israelites. They were teaching these values. So um, I'm wondering this community, this vision that you have, what, what is something that is most meaningful to you right now? Or where is your energy going toward right now? My energy is going towards younger folks. Um, there, as if life happens in cycles, right? We understand that things happen in cycles and in cycles, the shape of a cycle being a circle means that as you start something and the closest points is your first step and your, and the last step of that circle. So this, this destructive deceptive culture called white culture, not, not saying that because we have less melanated skin, we're not able to do those things, but we've been practicing this level of culture. We decided it worked for us and whatnot. This culture is coming to a, a apex, like even the way things are valued, there's so much greed. There's so much, it's such a faster pace of all the problems of this culture coming to an apex that it, because of the level of destruction and deception in it, it has to either destroy or end at some point, it's collapse from not having strong foundation. And so, yes, it's very ugly in many ways. It's war in Ukraine and those things. I mean. I don't want to dismiss it, but it's not a surprise that white folks would act like this to me. And so with all these things, with the amount of disparity, I, I saw something the other day, eight, eight humans own of this wealth that we define as our monetary system controlled uh, more than 50% of the culture. That's not a sustainable model. So as that's happening. What can younger folks who have now access to much greater information than I did growing up because of the internet, um, what can they see from the conversations I have? Many of them are starting to see this is a problem. And so if there's a way to reach them at these younger age and in this level of understanding coming into adulthood that you guys can change culture by changing the values in which you build this culture, by creating different values, by learning a more connected way, by recognizing a social responsibility, by starting to identify harm being done before it's harmful already, by seeing the value of atonement and repairing and just going, you know what? I fucked up. Like you said, the origins, my people fucked up. Like we did some shitty shit and I still do some shitty shit, even in my full on attempts to be correct. And when I do, I need to be able to atone, accept responsibility and see how I can either move out of the way so I don't do it again or be a part of the healing process. But it has to be intentional. It has to be okay that we continue this process of of healing. And that's really what my mission is to really see the value of healing and with the idea that later on we could be led by a new mind, the mind that can create a social structure like the one I described that could lead us that we as one of our biggest 
changes as white folks is to recognize we need to step out of the way of leadership into a, into a level of servitude where there's real value and we can really learn the value of servitude in also learning how to be reconnected to life on the planet. What I think about when hearing you talk is creating new value starts with our closest communities. Talking about like changing the power structure while also uh, modeling and being in relationship with young folks and saying, you know, hey, yeah, I messed up right there. And like, this is how I'm grappling with what it means and what it feels like and to harm somebody, to harm myself, to harm you. And how can we in this moment begin to repair and be in relationship in a more harmonious way. And so I think, you know, there's, you know, the macro, there's the institutional and there's the personal. So always kind of looking at the structures outside and also the structures inside and how they're showing up in all of those realms. Because if it's not happening at home, it's not going to happen out there. And how do we keep the connection of those things? How do we make decisions inside the home that's affecting the macro? How do we make decisions at a macro level that's affecting the home? Um, when I was in my doctorate program, I learned I had to study leadership. And I put that in quotes from Oppenheimer, I think it was his name, that separated the atom, which became what is the basis for our nuclear weaponry. And this is the level of which I'm talking about as far as desire to control and what I call playing God in white culture. And that is that this guy wanted to separate, learn and figure out how to separate the atom. And after it was done and he saw that it was going to be used for nuclear weaponry and all of these things, which now on this level of playing God is saying, I can choose who lives, who dies based on the separation of the essence of life, this atom structure. And he said, maybe we were asking the wrong questions and something to the effect of maybe we shouldn't have been asking how things work. And that's not the wrong question. We came from the wrong approach, right? Indigenous cultures ask how things work. You know, Aboriginal cultures ask how things work. They want to know how the world works, how the planet works so they can be at one with it. And it already provides us our nutrients. It already provides us what we need for living life and enjoying what life gives us. Let's just be one with it. We don't need to do different. We don't need to make our impact known by changing how the earth already operates. Let's be one with it. Yes, we should know how things work versus the white culture, European culture, wanting to know how things work from a standpoint of how can I control that? My theory is that this lack of melanin, whether we morphed into having less melanin as cultures moved north or whether we were sent to the north because there was less sun and whatnot, hundreds of years ago, we all, you, the one thing you can't deny is Europe was mostly white. That range of, of our earth was mostly white folks, what we would call white folks. And so having less melanin means that we're in a place with less sun and having less sun means that there's less natural resources in those regions. And if we have less resources, then we have a scarcity, right? And now 
that impacts our mentality and our approach. Because now I'm looking at Lisa having these things and I go, well, I don't and she does. And damn it, there's not enough. And I need to take what Lisa has. And then we go out and we start to realize there's other places on this planet and they have resources where they live with more sun, with melanated skin, and they can be outside. And we now go into these places and they're living like an abundance. So that's that level of community, right? Oh, it's sharing. There's enough. Like what? Who cares? Let's have some fun and, and live good and, and just explore the earth and know that it's taking care of us. And we didn't develop that feeling. And so I don't want to sit up here and say, well, white people are just fucked up. Yes, we are. But maybe we just need a hug back then. Right. If we understand that as we went to this cultures, right. And here Ellery is in her melanated skin in India and Africa and all these places, Honduras, what we call. Right. And there's such an abundance of natural resources that we can share from. And Christopher Columbus talked about this when he came here. We came here, they were willing to share and give us what we wanted. And we decided that wasn't good enough for us. We're going to just take this shit and destroy this shit. And to us, that served us. So now we've validated that response with the fact that it served us. And now we're developing this culture based on these values. There is a scarcity out there. If you don't control it, you know, somebody else will. And now we're in competition all the time. And that's why we call it race. That's why I say, what are we racing for? Because there's this competition in everything that we do. We can't share space. If I'm Walmart, I got to destroy all these small businesses to win and control it. If I'm Amazon, I got to get investors to help me destroy all these businesses so that I control the marketplace. And we've just continued to develop this culture. And then we have a level of humanity now that we have it in European cultures, right? There, there's a level of, hum of healthcare for all, of free colleges, of these things. So we're capable of doing those things. We just don't have a practice of doing it. And we see these melanated folks and we create them being a problem in our mind because they have, and we don't, we don't understand it. And all of these things led to this level of culture, right? And that's what I want to help untangle so that we stop that. And part of the untangling is understanding the origin, which you just so right. poetically put out on the table for all of us. And then in understanding it, it's like, oh, this was, this was created. Okay, I can connect the dots. Now let's create a new narrative. Right. Create a new so story. We can hug ourselves and not feel so ashamed and guilty, but also want to stop that. And that's why I want a new mind to leave us to that. I'm just saying like, these are the values and the thoughts and the actions that lead to developing this. And now it's time for us to do something different. Well, I see you already doing that. Creating this new, this new, yeah, the, the evolution of community. So thank you, Jesse. Yes. What a joy ride this was to go across land and time. We got to go to Israel and be with the Hebrew Israelites and then back to St. Louis and not just, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you guys.